Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Oh, it's good to be home back in the cooler weather. Don't hate, man. Just appreciate. Trust me. Uh, Sharon and I, we, a couple of weeks ago, we took a week off and uh, just to spend with each other to recharge. And uh, four hours after we landed in Winnipeg, I was on a plane back to the Dominican Republic for about 10 days, 11 days with uh, Paul Winter and a team from Living Word Temple and Danny Mackay as well. And uh, our mission was to teach local pastors there and local church leaders. And uh, I was able to speak uh, in some Haitian churches and we taught a few hundred leaders at the time. It was a unique cultural exchange for myself. Um, the way I, I just for me it was just all about learning uh, my job my role was to teach ephesians for the most part but also to help and to encourage there's all these little churches so they they don't have these big churches like we do here they got these little pockets of churches and and everybody's scattered all over the place and uh, there's this one pastor trying to pull people together and uh my one of my roles was to to encourage and to help you know give the idea of forming a fellowship a network a denomination whatever you want to call it but basically laying the foundations for that and by thursday night well over 200 churches signed up to be a part of this so it was absolutely amazing to see that and so there's a hunger um there's a hunger from people there to know the scriptures and you know for me that's so refreshing not to say that you guys aren't hungry all right but uh, to, to be there and to be a part of that was uh, just a whole lot of fun. Uh, but I have to say this, I am so glad to be home. I am so, both Trevor, uh, knew, uh, for those of you who know Trevor from Living Word, he and I were the last two uh, to leave. And it was like, I kid you not, it was so hot. Uh, the humidity was 91%. And we were in the barrio and no, no air conditioning, no nice hotel, no nothing like that, man. We lived with the people. And uh, the power would go out 12 hours of the day. And, you know, I, sh I, I don't think I am so clean. I showered like six, seven times a day just to cool off. So both Trevor and I were looking at it, and we're looking at the weather, and we're going, we just really want to go home and cool off. That's basically what it was. But I have missed you guys. And uh, let's pray, shall we? God, my prayer is that we would be aware of you in new ways today and speak to us. That you would challenge us, that you would comfort us, that you would show us things this morning that, that need your healing touch in our lives. And as we leave this place, may we know that you're in the process of restoring us. May we be focused without distraction as you speak into our souls. May we hear your voice loud and clear. Make these passages uh, clear to us. And may we find our healing and hope. God. Because we know that you will be with us as you always are. Amen. Uh, some of you received a little handout when you came in. If you don't have a handout and you want, it's uh, facts about mental illness that we've put together. They're going to be at the joy baskets there. You can get up as I'm speaking anytime that you want. And uh, mental health uh, resources for Winnipeg. And uh, basically, we just have taken what our community hands out, made it, put it right in your hands so that there's no questions asked. You can go to the website. You can download the PDF yourself. Um, there's also an app uh, called MindShift. So if, uh, as I'm going into this and you're pulling out your phones and, and maybe you struggle with mental illness and depression, uh, thoughts of suicide, there's this, this wonderful app and if uh, um, you have counselors, therapists, doctors that you're dealing with and they haven't turned you on to this, I'd encourage you just to download it. Even if you have friends or family members who are struggling with mental illness and depression and things like that, it's good for you too because there's some stuff for you to learn. And uh, it's very easy. It's free to download. And uh, for those who, who are more techie, tech, techies, it's cognitive behavior therapy. Um, but it's just a fantastic app. And so my life lesson today uh, has been put together not just by myself, but I've uh, tapped into some resources and uh, specifically one person who themselves uh, lives with mental illness 
and anxiety. Um, depression and anxiety is, is uh, the two things that he works through on a daily basis. And so he was really a help to me in, in formulating what I want to share with you as we look at the scriptures. And then, you know, sometimes we have, I don't know, <laughs> for me, there are sometimes life lessons that you cannot write, that you cannot prepare without a tear in your eye. This is one of them. So, luck of the draw. You know, in staff meeting, we divide who gets to preach. I get, like, all the fun ones. I, so, Matthew chapter 27. Let's just jump right into it. If you brought your Bibles, just open up your phones, your iPads, your eyelids, and let's go, right, starting verse 1. Matthew chapter 7. 27, sorry. Uh, and again, you need to go back uh, online, uh, watch, listen to the last couple of weeks to get the backstories, to which I thank both Pastor Jordans in doing so. But I'm going to do something. I'm going to do a running commentary on our passage today. So, verse starting with one, early in the morning, it says, Matthew 27, verse 1, early in the morning. There we go. Um, the Romans held court early morning all the time, probably because of the heat, to which I can totally understand, but most pilgrims, uh, most of the pilgrims, most of the, the citizens of Jerusalem would not have been awoken yet. They, uh, uh, they assume that possibly as early as six o'clock, Jesus was already before Pilate here, and that sort of gives you the time sense, uh, or, or sorry, before the, the chief priests. And it says, early in the morning, all the chief priests, and again, it's plural, it's a family of priests. It's not a bunch of individuals. It's a family of Annas. And what he did is he was actually able to purchase the office of high priest from the Romans. And then he was able to have his son succeed him and his son-in-laws as well. So here we have the priests and the elders of the people. And they began to make their plans. So they had to come up with a charge. And they, they, they needed a charge against Jesus that the Romans would be able to act on. And this is the charge where Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews. And that was used so it was a political threat against Rome. So they're saying, look, Jesus is trying to start a political uprising here. This is the threat. He says he's the king of the Jews. And so they're trying to figure out how to have Jesus executed. And so they, it says now that they bound him. Now remember, Jesus is not a fighter, right? Um, so they tie him up. Now, there's a, a reason why they tie him up. Some people actually suspect that they tied him up to prevent him from doing any miracles. All right? Which I thought was interesting. Another, you know, real deep way was they tied him up to humiliate him. Um, or it was just simply the common procedure of the time, right? With criminals, what did you do? You put him in handcuffs. And then they led him away to hand him over to Pilate. When you do your history about Pilate... Pilate has historically, he's a cruel man, and uh, he's ruthless. And in this day, the, the Jewish governing body, that the Sanhedrin, didn't have any authority to, provide, uh, to, to enforce capital punishment. That's why they wanted to have the Romans crucify Jesus. However, Jesus is accused of blasphemy uh, by the Jews. And therefore, because of that accusation, if they were truly in keeping with the law... Jesus should have been stoned to death, not crucified. Now, well, why do you say that? Well, the Jews did the very same thing in Acts to Stephen. Acts chapter uh, 7. See, when Stephen began to preach and the Jewish leaders got upset, they accused him of blasphemy. They began to stone him. And you'll notice in Acts 7 that they never asked for Roman permission to do so. See, the Jewish leaders wanted Rome to get rid of Jesus. Because it gets his, his blood off their hands. On top of that, um, they wanted Jesus crucified on a cross to fulfill the divine curse of Deuteronomy 21 to 23. You must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight to be sure to bury it that same day because anybody who's hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land of the Lord your God for giving you as an inheritance. So that's why they wanted Jesus hung on a tree, so to speak. They wanted to have this enacted on him. 
And it's interesting, Jesus does bear the curse for us. When we do our New Testament theology, he does bear the curse for us according to Galatians and Colossians. So, we continue to read, when Judas had betrayed him, he saw that Jesus was condemned. He was seized with remorse. Now, it's interesting that Judas is seized with remorse because it's a unique word that's being used. It's not the normal word that we would use uh, for repentance. In other words, uh, a change of mind and a change of action to turn around, to do the 180, to do something totally different. Here, the word remorse means he has sorrow afterwards, but with no implication of any real change. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. I have sinned, he said. I have betrayed innocent blood. What is this to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away and he hung himself. I need to say this right off the start. This is not a theological proof text about suicide bringing damnation. There are several suicides that are mentioned in the Old Testament. And it's interesting that when you begin to research these suicides, it's interesting to note that nothing negative is ever said about these acts. It's simply being descriptive. It's Judas's lack of true repentance that seals his lostness, not the taking of his life. Also, the account of, of Judas' death in, in Acts 1.18, does, some people say, well, that can do, contradicts Matthew's account here. But rather, when you look at it, it actually supplements it. So apparently from the two accounts, Judas hung himself over a cliff. Later, the rope broke, and his body fell and broke open, basically. You continue to read. We see that the chief priests pick up the coins and they said, it's against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy a potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. You know, it's interesting. They had no money, no problem about taking the temple's money, right? And, and using it for Jesus' betrayal. But they felt uncomfortable about taking it back, which is a complete irony. And... You know, what they bought was possibly a depleted clay quarry that had very little or no value. And so they're trying to do something nice. Whether they're trying to ease their conscience, we're not quite sure. And that's why it's called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel. They used them to buy the potter's field the Lord commanded me. Spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. Now, it's interesting because some people, if you have your little notes in your Bible, it's going to be saying stuff to you like, oh, you know, actually, this is Zechariah. Um, this is a direct quote from Zechariah. Um, yet Jeremiah 18 uh, speaks of a potter. Jeremiah 32 talks, mentions the buying of a field. And actually, that little passage that we just ended with causes a lot of, um, what do you say, uh, problems with many commentators. And so I thought I just want to address it, and then I want to move on. So... One theologian basically said that uh, Jeremiah himself was the one who wrote Zechariah's chapters from 9 to 11. Another theologian said that Zechariah was actually quoting Jeremiah. Some early church fathers said that there, somewhere when the Old Testament was being copied, a copyist made an error. And, um, but when it comes right down to it, uh, many theologians hold the view that uh, in the Hebrew canon, in the Hebrew establishment of the Bible, uh, Jeremiah was listed first when it comes to the division known as the prophets. And therefore, his name stands for the entire section. And that's how they feel that it came up to this. It's not anything that is life-shattering. But it's there that you know some people will, um, uh, will want to talk about and it's not that big of a deal. But today, I want to address the elephant in the room, and that's the topic of suicide. I also want to take some time to address mental illness and depression, because many times that is the precursor to suicide. So theologically speaking, suicide is a difficult and very thorny problem. 
Down through the centuries, discussions of the subject have given to a wide variety of opinions. And you, what you find is that equally committed believers and equally astute biblical scholars actually come to very different conclusions. And it's not hard to see why. Everyone can agree that suicide is certainly a sin. It isn't hard to see why. Everyone can agree that. It's, it's the unauthorized taking of a human life. It robs the person of the sanctity of life and the full time given to them by God alone. It's defined as self-murder. Suicide is a singular act with a plural effect. And it's those who are left, the friends, the loved ones, who carry on the weight of that effect. But... That's a beautiful word. Is this particular sin different than any other sin? Is it somehow unable to come under the healing and the redeeming power of Jesus' death on the cross? And this is where the tension comes. So historically, this controversial subject has unfortunately been addressed in very emotional ways. And not always through biblical analysis. Those of you who might have grown up Roman Catholic have always heard that suicide is a mortal sin that irretrievably sends people to hell. Because it leads no opportunity for the individual for repentance. And repentance is generally understood to be a necessary condition precursor for forgiveness. And as you all know too well, this line of reasoning is anything but reassuring to families and friends impacted by the suicide of a loved one. Besides this traditional position of the Catholic Church, we encounter three others, and they are a true Christian would never commit suicide since God wouldn't allow it. Those are your Calvinists. Uh, a Christian may commit suicide, but would lose his salvation. Some in the Arminius camp. A Christian may commit suicide without losing his salvation. Now, I'm not in the position to tell you which of these positions is correct. It's something that you are going to have to do and decide for yourself. But this morning, I want to share with you my findings from Scripture, and I want you to put on your theological thinking caps. Okay? So let's begin about talking about these truths that we know as revealed in Scripture. We're going to go right to the basics. Humani humanity is deprived. It truly is. Isaiah 64, Romans 3. This, this doesn't mean that we're as evil as we could be, but every human that in every human capacity, our intellect, our heart, our emotions, our will, everything in us is tainted by sin. And even after we surrender ourselves to Jesus, a Christian is capable of committing any sin. Would you not agree? Well, I don't know, let's muddle. I don't, of course you would, right? Now, think about that. The only unforgivable sin that's ever mentioned in Scripture, because some people say, well, suicide's the unforgivable sin. No, because the only unforgivable sin mentioned in Scripture is found in Mark 3 and Matthew 12. And from those passages, we can clearly conclude it refers to the continual rejection of the Holy Spirit or, or, uh, or the work of the Spirit in a person's life and, uh, um, or as... My leaning is, is when we say, we see the work of the Spirit happening and we attribute that to the work of Satan. You know, where God is actually working and people say, oh no, that's, that's demonic. Well, mm, that, that's crossing a serious line. We have to be careful about that. It's important to remember that as a believer, that a believer is capable of taking the life of somebody else. Well, what are you talking about? Oh, look at David in the case of Uriah the Hittite. David took the life of a man without invalidating his salvation any which way, shape, or form. And so theologians, they come together and they contend that for a believer, Christ's blood, now this is your theology, Christ's blood covers every sin, every mistake he or she has ever committed or ever will commit. Again, Read Colossians chapter 2. Read Hebrews 10. You need to read those passages. You need to write these passages down. Go home and read them. These are classic theology for you, okay? 
Christ's sacrifice at the cross has forgiven all of our sin, our past, our present, and our future. Okay, so I know some of you are going, hmm, okay, this is interesting. Okay, now work with me. This can be a comforting in, in the reflection of a case of suicide victims who have been known to be faithful and dedicated followers of Jesus. His common sense reveals that many, if not most of us, think about it, people, we will die with sins maybe that we haven't repented of. Think about what I just said. But if we've trusted Christ for salvation, we will never die with sins that have not been eternally forgiven. Past, present, future. So the scriptures state that God's grace and mercy are beyond our understanding. They declare God's judgments are unsearchable and past all finding out. Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 8. They, they assure us that there is nothing, right, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created. So this is all theological speak, right? The sin a Christian will commit tomorrow was forgiven at Calvary. Where Jesus justified us, declaring us positionally righteous. My, here's my theological speak for some of you eggheads like me. He accomplished this work through one single offering. It doesn't need to be repeated again and again. On the cross, Jesus didn't make us justifiable. He justified us. We cannot take anything like that for granted. We still need to approach, though, our Father and set things straight, right? So this is why James will encourage us to confess our sins to one another. So yes, we are forgiven. Yes, he forgives us. He sees us as forgiven and justified. But we're still encouraged to confess and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is faithful. And so there's this element of confession that has to continually happen. This is why David prays, prays his prayer in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit. So daily, people, because we, may, we sin sometimes overtly, we sin sometimes invertly, we sin with our mind, we sin with our mouth, right? We sin, we, every day we got to come back to God and say, I need to get cleaned up. I need, I need to get cleaned up. And he forgives us. It's not that we're becoming a Christian all the time. It's just being aware of who we are. The biblical term really is sanctification. We're in this process of rewashing and, and trying to be whole, more holy. Not, you know, oh, holier than that. No, I'm just trying to be more like Jesus. So let me ask the question. If you, this is a great one. If you were to die right now, would there be any unconfessed sin in your life? Anybody want to put up their hand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, of course there would be. Matter of fact, if you got into a, a fatal car accident on the way here, would you have had unconfessed sin in your heart? Well, you know, and, and when you think about it this way, who will really have the time to confess every single sin before we die? I can't die yet, doctor. Just wait. I got to confess everything. And, and here's the, my more morbid mind. Some of us are going to die instantly without warning. I just let that sit there for a while. Others are going to die slowly. Welcome to Seoul. We're really glad you're here today. Our desire is you die slowly. It's <laughs> just the way I want to do it. But when you think about it, even after we confess, confess as many sins as we can think of, are there still sins that we have committed against God, that we've committed against our neighbor, that we're not even aware of? 
And may I suggest that the sacrifice of Jesus that covers the sins remaining unto death is the same one that would cover a sin like suicide. The Bible's clear, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, it says anything in creation includes the believer, and things present nor things to come refers to situations that we haven't experienced yet. And Jesus says that, uh, that no one can snatch us away from our Father in John chapter 10. Paul says the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. There is probably as many causes for suicide as there are victims. And from the, from the victims come the painful cries of hopelessness and loneliness and self-will. And each of us face these painful experiences in different degrees. Nobody is exempt from the temptation of hopelessness and loneliness and self-will. Our, only our faith in Christ offers a release in life for each of these needs. And were it not for the grace of God in Christ, there would, there would even be more suicide. Hopelessness itself, it kills the will to live. But where there's hope, then there's at least life. And a person without hope, though, loses the will to live. Theologian Helmut Thielicke, he says this, There are many suicides, not because people have too little money or suffer disappointments in love, but because they lost the meaning of life and they see themselves confronted by a black wall. So there, there appears to be no solution for the problems they face. And so overcome with an intolerable despair, the individual feels trapped in a no-exit situation, and they look at suicide, and suicide seems like the only way out. And so philosopher Albert Camus, he said, killings oneself amounts to confessing. It's confessing that life is too much for you or that you don't understand it. And that becomes then the deadly lure of suicide. It offers a door out of hopelessness. Go to Acts chapter 16. It's interesting. It records an example of just that. The Philippian jailer is awakened by the rumblings of an earthquake. And uh, there's gaping holes in his jail. And he looks and he's thinking every prisoner in his jail has escaped. And he was responsible for that. And he's going to get a brutal, brutal death because of that. And so uh, there's a no exit situation now for the jailer. You know, he's entrusted to take care of these prisoners, and now all is lost. And so the Acts 16 it tells us that he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Paul, the apostle, sees what's about to take place. He stops them, and he says, hey, stop. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. So Paul stops the suicide. He sees what this guy's about to do, and the... The apostles could have taken off but, and escaped, but the jailer realized that these Christians had something he needed at that time. So he asked a question. He says, what must I do to be saved? And the jailer uh, um, moves from a hopeless situation with no exit to hope in Jesus, and he's saved from hopelessness. And it's all a really beautiful analogy in Acts. The fact of the matter is, when we bring it to real life today, we're all messy and we're all flawed. Do I get an amen? You're right. Slap the person next to you so that you know that they're awake. You know, it's no different than our heroes in Scripture, right? We're all a bunch of hot messes, right? This morning, thank you, amen. Regardless of what's going on at your home, you still show up to work. You're a hot mess. You still show up to church. You're a hot mess. You smile and you pretend everything is okay because you're a hot mess. It's all right. You're surrounded by rows of rows of people, some of the finest hot messes in town. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel it. Right? Some come to church just to hand their hot messes over to our soul kids leaders, right? For one hour. Yeah. <laughs> Now, here's the good news. 
about our shared state of human messiness. Mess is what brings us together. See, this righteousness given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin makes us all messy. Sin is when we fall short of God's standards. And even if you don't believe in God this morning, that's fine. You still fall short of your own standards. Yet all are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that has come by Jesus Christ. And so what brings us together, this mess, is what brought God near. And here's the best news. God draws near to us because of our mess. In fact, sometimes it takes a mess to set up a meeting with God. He finally has your attention. You know, you, we look at Elijah's story in the Old Testament. He's the Kanye West of the prophets. Can I say that? You know, because Kanye, Kanye, you know, and Elijah, they're kind of a big deal and they know it. Okay, you, trust, you, you got me with this? And after Elijah experiences this huge victory over the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 19, huge victory, fire from heaven, you know, killing all the prophets of Baal, just bloodshed, yes! Like a Terminator movie. Queen Jezebel threatens his life. And now Elijah has a full-on anxiety panic attack. And you would assume fire from heaven consuming everything else. You know, he would be on top of the world. But instead, he hits a wall. And in Elijah's story, we actually see mental illness on display. But we don't like to talk about mental illness in the church but scripture is actually filled with men who have struggled with their emotions and feelings and had to be honest about it. We see obviously Elijah, but there was Job, there was Jeremiah, there was Moses. And we, the church, must talk about depression and mental illness as well. And that's what we're doing today. And so today I've made available a fact sheet regarding some of the stats about mental illness that are quite sobering. And, and uh, also as a local city of Winnipeg guide with all the information that you need. And as I said earlier, I recommend that you download MindShift, CBT Anxiety Canada, free app that's out there. And if you want more clarity on the app, just come ask me and I'll show you what it is. It's free. It's great uh, with people living with depression and mental illness. It's a learning tool for friends and family members. Let's go even further with history. You know, history records strong Christians who experienced depression. Martin Luther was one of them. Charles Spurgeon, John Bunyan, Abraham Lincoln, C.S. Lewis. Some say Mother Teresa. So going back to Elijah, he, he runs into the wilderness. Interesting. He runs into the wilderness. That's where the state of his soul is. And in the wilderness is a place where God does his greatest work. He speaks the loudest to us. Next thing Elijah does is he retreats back into a cave. And here I would suggest to you that this is the biblical rhythm of rest that we have to follow. What does Elijah do in the cave? He sleeps, he eats. And he repeats. He sleeps, he eats, and he repeats. And after that rest, it's important, as Elijah did, is to get up and go back to work. And sometimes you have to get back to work in order to move forward. What Christians need to know about depression is this. People facing depression can be sad, but depression is not sadness. Depression is not something you can will yourself or talk yourself out of. Depression is not a choice, and going outside isn't going to make it any better. Depression is not a character defect. It is not a spiritual disorder. It is not an emotional dysfunction. And it's not demonic. Well, can, be an, can a, a Christian be oppressed by depressive thoughts? Yes. Yes, we can. Can a Christian be 
possessed by some demon that uh, stimulates or manifest oppression? The answer is no. Christians cannot be possessed. Clinical depression, postpartum depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, mood disorders, chronic anxiety are illnesses. Depression is the only physical illness with spiritual symptoms. Mental illness doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you cowardly. It doesn't make you faithless, hopeless, or joyless. Mental illness can fill your life with pain. Mental illness means that you're experiencing sickness and you are in need of healing. Sick people use medicine. Oh, by the way, when I was in the Dominican Republic, one of the, their go-tos was Vicks Vapor Rub, a teaspoon of Vicks Vapor Rub and a cup of coffee, and that will cure your cold. I kid you not. They were trying to make Paul Winter drink it. He fought them like you wouldn't believe. But sick people, we use medicine. We use therapy. We use support and faith to eventually become well again. There is healing. There is hope. And each of the Bible characters and the people from history that I mentioned all reached out to God to find their hope and to find help. And uh, if you or a loved one suffers, suffers from depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, or any other type of mental illness, it's not your fault. You simply need help. And asking for it is a sign of strength. Asking for it tells me that, in, that there's hope. Why? Because when asking for that says that tomorrow can be better. Erin McManus said, I think we have, we have to stop pretending that life is easy and somehow faith makes it easier. And I think that that's a reflection of our Christian culture here in the West. Because so often when people come to pro Christ, right, we promise them victory in Jesus. And so we become happy, smiling people, and we tell how we were once unhappy, and now we're filled with this buoyant, you know, exuberation, and my broken marriages are fixed, my wayward children are returned to the straight and narrow, and my depression is banished to the old life. Well, listen, life is complicated. And I know you know that. But perhaps sometimes we forget the fact that we, the church, have to help people navigate the most complicated thing in the world, and it's life. And we talk about doing life together, but sometimes we don't want to factor in mental illness. On April 5th in 2013, Rick Warren's son, Matthew, shot himself. If you don't know who Rick Warren is, he's a mega pastor down in the States. His son was 27 years of age. Following his death, Rick and his wife revealed that their son struggled with mental illness since childhood. And uh, I, I spent all this week just reading his interviews and, and uh, what he had to say. And, you know, he offered encouragement to those struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts, emphasizing that, and I quote, he says, we all face dark days and thoughts of suicide affect people of all ages. There's a misconception that suicide only affects young people, but the highest rates of suicide are amongst men my age. In other words, 50 plus. He goes on, he says, this breaks my heart, and I want to say to you all, I'm sorry for the pain that you're experiencing, but please know that you're not alone. No matter how dark things are, there's always hope. I want you to know that I'm deeply aware that today, here in our presence, or watching from live stream, there are people who are seriously contemplating suicide. And maybe you're here today and you're feeling alone and you feel that you're losing your battle to stay alive. There are those that believe that genuine Christians would never even contemplate suicide. But they have no understanding of the nature of depression and mental illness or of Christian history and the great saints who have struggled with the dark nights of the soul and suicidal thoughts. So you need to hear, if I'm speaking to your heart, that God is merciful and he's full of compassion. And he knows that we are frail and that we are fragile creatures who experience deep pain that sometimes words cannot even express. And tradition as a pastor and as a believer obliges me to say uh, along here the lines of just stay the course. Stay strong. I don't feel strong. No, you are strong. And don't forget the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. All good 
true things to say for sure. But there's something else that I want to say, and it's, it's okay to admit, especially within the Christian world, that you're not strong. That you're in so far over your head in discouragement and disappointment that you can't even see the hope of Christ. You say that most people thinking about suicide really don't want to die. They just want the pain to stop. So let me encourage you to remember that in Christ that there's always hope. That he will walk with you through the darkest of times. And that you're not alone. That's the essence of what community is about. And that God has a purpose And I have to remind you that he has a purpose and a plan for your life, even though you're not even seeing anything on the radar. Jesus himself says, I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Peace I will leave with you. My peace I will give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. So we need to remember that we're not alone, that we're needed, that there's hope, and that there is always, always help. And so if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, to remember three things. That there's a purpose for your life. That you're loved and that you're needed in this world. Do you not agree, people? As the rest of the community, do you not agree with this? Of course. You know, if if I'm speaking to somebody who's, who's... Walking that line, please talk to somebody. There are always people who are wanting to hear from you. If you're hurting, help is here. Everyone has a part to play in suicide prevention, whether it's the government, whether it's the medical, whether it's business, but specifically the church. And we have to work together to find the solutions to improve mental health and to impact suicide prevention. It's okay to admit that we're struggling mentally. It's okay not to be okay. We hear this all the time. But even for us as pastors, it's interesting. If you've been following the news of what's going on with pastors, numerous amount of pastors have killed themselves recently. We go through a lot of crap. And there's just some weird dynamics of being a pastor. And a lot of times it feels impossible to raise our hands and say in front of you that we're struggling. You know, to be honest with people and say, you know, there are things in my private life that, you know, that are not pleasing or I'm having these thoughts. I know that they're wrong. I know here at Seoul, numerous pastors who have left their churches and what they do is they come here for refuge and for repair. Because for whatever reason, they have never felt that they could be open and honest without any condemnation to affect the role that they have. It's okay not to be okay. Whether you're just a pastor or somebody sitting in the chairs. It's okay to ask for help. It's in addition to seeking the support of a church You know, we all need to get professional help from a therapist or a medical doctor is of the utmost importance. We need to get help. And when we're struggling with mental illness and we struggle with thoughts of suicide, um, that doesn't make you a bad Christian. It's not removing Jesus from your life. No. What we need to do is be able and allow people to... to, uh, Give them the ability to see clearly who Jesus is. And if your body is physically out of whack, your mind is physically out of whack, and you're finding it readily impossible to follow him, we need to get help. Rick Warren said beautifully, he says, In God's garden of grace, even broken trees bear fruit. And we're all broken. And again, if we look at scripture, we see that God only uses broken people. So even a moment of loneliness and despair, our God overcomes loneliness. The psalmist affirms, he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 
says also, when we walk through the death's dark valley, the Lord is with us. Hebrews is the promise that I will never leave you or forsake you. And so today I'm stepping out on a limb only because I believe that God is, I hate saying this, but I believe that God is asking me to do this. And so you can take it however you want today. And as I said, I prepared this life lesson with somebody who's living with mental illness. And um, I, I've told him about what I want to do. And he looked at me and he gave me the green light. And he says, you need to do this. So here I go. It, is there anyone present today here in this room? Now, don't put up your hand. Who's ever attempted suicide or has ever had suicidal thoughts? Or you're dealing with depression or any kind of mental illness? And the answer I know for sure is yes. And so here's my ask. I'm going to step off the stage. I'm going to come down. Would you join me at the front? Because I want us to pray together. And also my friend looked at me and he said, you got to make sure that you add that, that maybe you have a family member who struggles here, and, but they're not here. And you want to come and you want to stand in proxy for them. That you invite those people to come as well. And so the purpose of this is that will you come and join me at the front as a sign of unity and solidarity and support and community to recognize that we are not alone, that we are together, that we can begin to share a holy moment of healing. And maybe you're sitting here and you're just going, my anxiety has just gone through the roof, pal. You're just, you just are pushing me over. That's awesome. Pull out your phone and look at the number that's up on the screen. And text on the screen, pray for me. And you can stay in your seat. That will go to our pastoral care and we will just pray for your phone number. Will you come forward and stand with me? Everybody stand. Let's make it a little bit easier. Will you come forward and stand with me? Anybody? We try to hide our wounds and our scars. All those things that we believe make us less lovely. We make fear and shame the strongholds of our lives. But when we bring our wounds to Jesus, when we out our secrets and our shame, we make him the strongholds of our lives. He uses our wounds for his purposes. He makes something so beautiful out of our scars. And he wants to do that to each one of you today. Jesus will make something beautiful from your scars. Psalm 27 says this, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I invite you to join a prayer with me today. I put it on my social media this morning. So you can copy it off there. You can copy it. And we're going to put it up on the screen for you right now. Put it in your phone. Put it in your day timer so that you have it at hand when you, the darkness hits you. 
because I need you to know that as a body, that you guys are not alone, that we're in this together. You may feel alone. You may feel abandoned and afraid. And I know that the lie that says it would be better for everyone that you were no longer here, it sounds true, but that comes from the pit of hell. So we stand together this morning and declare in Jesus' name that we will live to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Turn and look at this prayer on the screens. Can we say this together in unity? Lord Jesus Christ, I'm broken, but you died so that I might find healing. You were rejected so that I could be fully accepted. And I choose life now in your powerful name. I am your well-loved child on the days when I feel and on the days when I don't. I refuse to listen to the lies of the enemy anymore. And I confess with my mouth that in Jesus' name, I will live. Do you realize that when God looks at you, he sees you as his masterpiece? You've heard me say that, Ephesians 2.10. We are his masterpiece. So what in your mess is God trying to do? You know, we recognize God. We subsequently recognize that we're not God, right? In other words, our mess is, is a lens into which we can discover God. God is reaching out to you right now. And also what Jesus did we couldn't do for ourselves and this is the premise behind john 3 16 and 3 17 that the only way out of this mess is to follow jesus and he's unique why because he's invited messy people to follow him right and we're still messy people you're still messy i just need to say that to some of you you're really messy and you know what it's okay i love you Because, I said earlier, you can't write a message without a tear in your eye. Because I know a lot of your stories. Let me encourage you that becoming a masterpiece is a lifelong process. God wants us to become more mature and more uh, secure. He wants us to become lovers of people, not just people who are good at following the rules. Some of you around here are no good at following the rules. Can I get an amen? <laughs> not to look at you or anything. Is Christ the answer to every question? No, the answer is yes. Do Christians always know what to do because we know Christ and they can ask him? No. Definitely not. Do Christians always make the best choices? No. <laughs> but people, we're in this together. We're in this together. So I want to close with a blessing. You ready for it? In ancient time, the one who did a blessing, extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving the blessing did likewise. So, soul sanctuary from one hot mess to a bunch of others. Can we change it up here on the front? Maybe put your hands on the shoulder of the person next to you and let's bless them as the best we can. May God bless you and keep you as you journey through this complicated and beautiful thing we call life. May God surround you in comfort. May God fill you with his love. May God provide you with 